0: Max Kaiser, this is the Kaiser Report. Yeah, the world's getting ready for leg two of the global financial crisis. The drums are be- beating. I'm hearing it, talking about a massive wipeout across the globe. It's going to be fantastic. What else is happening?
1: Are you talking about a financial wipeout or an extinction
0: (laughs) event? Wipeout, GFC, global financial crisis, part two. It's underway, it's all happening. It's a wipeout, multi-trillions of dollars gone in the heartbeat, looking like phantasmagoria right here on planet... crazy. Well,
1: we don't know if that's going to happen before the great great, uh, extinction event happening as well that scientists have been warning about. Um, you know I came up with an idea actually for all those polar bears there 's like fifty two polar bears invading some town. yeah I came up with an idea of having like a seal sort of pool or park between where the ice used to be before we destroyed it all uh, through global warming yeah. and us, yeah. so put a bunch of seals in there and let the polar bears go yeah
0: yeah seals are nice and chewy, <laughs> like at a seal park for the polar bears. they love it
1: it 's better than eating us, but um I have a tweet here and this uh, goes with the notion of a global financial crisis and the new normal of what what is causing this underlying crisis not only in the financial markets and the banking sector and the monetary sector but also in the environmental sector and this is from Jeffrey uh, Gundlach fed says it is currently discussing using qe as a regular tool not just during emergencies or when the funds rate is at the zero bound so quantitative easing will become the new normal As we've discussed, this has caused the Cantillon effect of those closest to the Fed, i.e. the member banks, get the 0% free money, sometimes negative money, and they get to uh, live at large at the expense of everybody else, further downstream from this uh, free
0: money. The Federal Reserve banks around the world are engaged in a perpetual... the fiat currencies, like the dollar. You know, it goes back to the old saying, you can't taper a Ponzi scheme, right? So the globe starting 35 years ago or so, actually, you know, in the 70s, it was, the idea was we ne- we'll, never ma- we'll never have the tax revenue sufficient to pay our debt. So we need to supplement, we need to create aggregate demand, aggregate demand by printing fake money, but that fake money has an interest rate attached to it and uh, now here we are in 2019 and the realization that you know what we will never stop printing fake money because we'll never be able to pay for this fake money so we're just going to get used to it that's why gold is inching higher that's why bitcoin is now back in a bull market is because assets like gold and bitcoin will become the safe haven play with a global central bank's gone entirely rogue.
1: It also puts into context this notion that all the Wall Streeters who are out there on the news, using the platform on the news given to them to condemn AOC and the likes of AOC who want to print 5 trillion or 10 trillion for a Green New Deal or the MMTers. (laughs) you know this is the equivalent of that but what these wall streeters these top zero point zero 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 two five percent the the 400 families that own more than hundred and fifty million americans well they only want it for themselves they want exclusive rights to this free money printing machine and they don't want anybody else to have it
0: so aoc and her green new deal they want a competing federal reserve bank uh, they want a green federal reserve bank and the 400 families like the mafia in the US they want the, the current central bank, because they like that, they get all that free dosh. Um, you know, it's an interesting play. None of them works, and ultimately the market will seize upon hard money. This is why Russia, China are buying so much gold because they realize that they dollars on its last legs and about to implode.
1: So I want to look at a few headlines related to this fiat sort of system whereby free money could be printed exclusively just for 400 families and that's why they get richer and we get poorer. But here's one headline from Adam Tooze: the divergence in growth between service and goods producing sector employment in the U.S. since the crisis is truly striking and mind the scales. So this is from Deutsche Bank the blue line is wealth creating jobs so you're in the manufacturing sector turning some raw goods into added value products this is from by the way two thousand the red are the service sector jobs ie paper shufflers bureaucrats working at a retail sector working in a hospital as a orderly or that sort of thing but notice of course the real plunge in wealth creation jobs did happen from oh, about december eleventh two thousand And one, that's when China entered the World Trade Organization. So, um, you know, that's, that's a result of that. You can only sustain, you know, it becomes more and more difficult. This is, they, they go hand in hand. The reason why we have zero percent rates, the reason why we have a near negative percent rates, the reason why the Fed is now saying that QE will be eternal is because we no longer have wealth producing jobs. So we have to print more money to keep everybody in these sort of fake jobs that David Graeber talks about in order to sustain some harmony and peace in the economy that everybody doesn't riot about food. But the fact is, these service sector jobs do not create wealth.
0: No, no. It's a uh, Ponzi scheme. No, no. It's a Ponzi scheme. I don't know
1: why you're acting like a seal today, but
0: okay. That's the theme. Don't throw me to the polar bears. (laughs) That would be unfortunate. Although I wonder if they have a TV network.
1: So what, what do you have to say about the chart? I think it's...
0: Uh, part and parcel and proof of the uh, ongoing Ponzi scheme, in other words, there's never going to be the amount of capital expense required to create real jobs and manufacturing jobs is no longer available because all that money has to go into feeding the bottom layer of, of a ponzi scheme right they don't they don 't have a capex anymore they have b- stock buybacks they have financialization, commodification, they have lo- armies and armies of lawyers that are service jobs and they sue each other and litigate each other and uh they don't want to create jobs that are part of a uh a middle class uh, that w- that we used to have that middle class is going extinct as extinct as the polar bears and instead of throwing them seals they're throwing them fiat money the fiat money seals to keep the rabble-rousers from You know, Frick, and I can't believe that the guillotine's being uh, mentioned so often these days. It's now being. Uh, quoted on Fox News and CNBC, that everyone's afraid of the guillotine. Afraid of the guillotine. They know that the elites are afraid of the guillotine. We called that a couple of years ago. The last surviving working guillotine in France went on auction three years ago for one for two thousand euros. I mean, that's a steal. Uh, I, you know, I was tempted to buy it. I would have made a fine centerpiece. Well, of course, on
1: Kaiser Report, we've been saying for ten years now. It'll be ten years in um, September that gold and Bitcoin are uh, more pleasant options than a guillotine. I think that's the equivalent. If you look at that first headline that QE will be eternal, and you look at the fact that your future is just a retail sector job, um, you know that you should be stacking gold and you should be stacking Bitcoin. And this is what other nations are doing. We've covered the fact that you know, it's Russia, it's China, it's Kazakhstan, it's Turkey, it's Hungary. And when Hungary bought uh, gold, when they started stockpiling gold this past year, what they said is that the, it, gold has no counterparty risk. The counterparty risk at the moment to any of this debt you're accumulating to consume is the Wall Street that's the, that's the counterparty they they're, they're the, the risk that they're going to just run off with your loot and, and hide somewhere up in the north pole with the, the polar bears right well the
0: the glo- global global financial crisis is resuming you know it's 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 starting up again it's it's huge it's the part 2 i mean the the, the other one cost 17 trillion dollars this is going to cost 10770 trillion dollars it's all printed so prices in dollar terms will skyrocket price of gold will go skyrocketing bitcoin will make a new all time high people will be crying uh, yeah. <laughs> But you know, there's nothing left but the tears. But it, you know, that's the way it goes.
1: So, of course, you know, I think that once these, um, the elite run off with all this quantitative easing being printed for those 400 families, as has been unveiled in the past week, that the 400 families own more than 150 million Americans. I saw this tweet from a Buzzfeed dude, David Mack, and he said, "I went to Eastern State Penitentiary in Philly today, and this graphic stopped me in my tracks. This is the number of prisons today, people in prisons, incarcerated in America. This is." at a museum to prisons in america and this is in the 1970s before we went off the gold standard and this is today we are able because of quantitative easing because of free money printing to incarcerate in a very decadent way, a huge percentage of the population. I tweeted in response to that, only possible with an all-fiat system begun in late 1971. If we were still on a gold standard, the real cost of incarcerating millions of people would be unsustainable. The incarcerated become part of a fiat Ponzi scheme redistributing wealth up.
0: Men are on the verge now that Ponzi came blowing up because of the, the gold now being purchased by the smart countries russia china the smart countries versus the dumb countries like america and the united kingdom is hitting a tipping point and we have now an emergence of a gold-backed bitcoin-backed currency that will destroy the fiat empire And it's a new century.
1: Well, it won't destroy the fiat empire. The fiat empire has destroyed itself. What we're saying is that you, the individual out there, can avoid being the seal thrown to the polar bear in the escape of this, in the collapse of this system. As that system collapses, as their ice sheet melts, the equivalent of the fiat uh, central bank system, as that ice sheet melts on them and they have to come looking for people to eat, they'll come eating you. And I want to look at this other final headline in terms of gold and, and central banks and government. Salvini proposes seizing control of Italy's gold reserves from Central Bank. Italy's populist de facto leader, Matteo Salvini, seems set on shaking Europe's financial establishment to the core. One day after the Italian deputy prime minister and leader of the League party called for the elimination of Italy's Central Bank and the country's financial regulator, Consab, saying the two institutions should be, quote, reduced to zero more than changing one or two people, reduced to zero, or in other words, eliminated, and that, quote, fraudsters who inflicted losses on Italian saver should end up in prison for a long time, Salvini prompted fresh shocked gasps in Brussels and Frankfurt when he raised the possibility of seizing Italy's massive gold reserves away from the country's central bank. He said gold is the property of the people. It shouldn't be the property of the central bank. and and thus it should be shifted to the government, not the central banks. Because remember, central banks now have independence for their member banks.
0: Well, this man is a genius. (laughs) He's absolutely correct. He's echoing, for example, Jim Grant from Grant's Interest Rate Observer. You know, you read about him in Barron's Magazine on Wall Street for decades. He's been talking about this very thing. He said that the best thing any central banker can do is resign, right? I mean, they're all crooks. They're all charlatans. They're perpetuating a destructive Ponzi scheme and premature human extinction to make a quick buck at the price of the future. Italy uh, apparently this man understands it and I hope he acts on it. Of
1: course there are so-called populists rising up around the world and this is this is you know what wall street is worried about and i think his his idea of arresting the fraudsters arresting the 400 families that looted from the other 150 million we could reduce the prison population to just those people who have created this unstable economic environment which has led to unrest and crime around the world yeah
0: everyone who is in prison should be out and everyone who is not currently in prison should be in <laughs> anyway we got to take a break when we come back much more Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. And it's time now to uh, introduce a very. I've actually known Brock for 20 years, or of him, when he was trading virtual currencies back in the 90s. Truly a trendsetter. He got into cryptocurrency on the back of that. One of the earliest in the world has managed to uh, build quite a nest egg for himself, Uh, covered extensively in various publications. You can read up on that. Brock Pierce, welcome back to the Kaiser Report. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Usually in the industry of crypto, when you mention the words uh, Mount Gox, uh, people tend to uh, have a conniption. Uh, this, this is like uh, r- screaming the dirtiest word you could possibly imagine. It redefined the industry and defined the industry for so many years, the collapse of the Mount Gox exchange. Uh, you've got a plan called Gox Rising to bring it back. Brock Pierce, tell us more.
2: Yeah, Mt. Gox is a dirty word. You know, Mark Carpellis is a dirty word. Um, When people bring up these names, people have a very strong visceral reaction and for good reason. You know, this is our Lehman Brothers. This is our Bear Stearns. This is our Enron. This is our Bernie Madoff, right? And so we have a very strong visceral reaction because the events that happened around that organization in late 2013, early 2014, set our industry back for a year or two. It was the primary cause of the bear market in 2014 and 2015. And you might even argue it's somewhat responsible for the bear market that we're in today. So obviously people have a very negative reaction, but it didn't always, it wasn't always that way. Mt. Gox in 2010, 2011, 2012 was by far the most important crypto company in the world that was largely responsible for the rise in Bitcoin. So you had the rise of Mt. Gox and then the sort of colossal fall of Mt. Gox, but that story is not over. uh, It's been in bankruptcy for nearly five years. February 24th is the five year anniversary and the story is still not over. You had 103,000 account holders, 24,000 people have filed bankruptcy uh, claims with the bankruptcy trustee, and so you have 24,000 victims that were early bettors on Bitcoin, that had early conviction, took that risk, and they have not been the beneficiary of the risks that they would taken, not due to any fault of their own, but by trusting in an exchange that was poorly managed. And so how do we as an industry want this story to end. Like Game of Thrones, the last season isn't out. I know I'm looking forward to it, can't wait. But uh, we have the power as an industry to write the end of this story. How do we want it to end? Do we want it to end like Lehman Brothers? Like the old financial system? Or would we like this story to end differently? Would we like this story to end in a way that demonstrates the power of the open source community and blockchain and the resilience of Bitcoin, like a phoenix rising from the ashes. I think we have the power to do that. I've got a crazy stretch goal, which is to get creditors 100% of their uh, money back, as well as to relaunch the exchange so that Mt. Gox is not a, uh, a turn that causes you to cringe um, in shame, but becomes a source of pride on behalf of the entire industry because of the power of this space and hopefully the outcome that we can achieve here.
0: So it's a turnaround situation. Mount Gox has got a hidden jewel on the balance sheet. The, the name has certainly huge name recognition uh, and this apparently can be rehabilitated uh, and turned into a uh, rivaling some other exchanges out in the world, I suppose. Now there's a lot of pushback on this Uh, Mark Karpelis has tweeted that, um, you don't own the shares of Mt. Gox, uh, and you have no say in the outcome of the company. This would refer to the 88% of the company. Uh, it, It all ties into a letter of intent, and there's some questions about the letter of intent, so can you add some clarity to that?
2: Well, first of all, Mark Karpelis still believes he runs Mt. Gox. You know, he believes he's still the man behind the curtain, pulling all the strings and calling all the shots. Um, considering his track record, I don't think that creditors or anyone else, for that matter, um, benefits from Mark Karpelis being in charge of the Mt. Gox story, for one. Um, Mark and I have a long background. I almost bought the business in late 2012 and again in 2013, and when Mt. Gox collapsed that first night, I gave Mark a call. I said, hey, Mark, I'm still interested in buying the business. He goes, are you not watching the news? I said, that's why I'm calling, and he goes, and you're still interested? I said, I am, because I think the industry needs this to be resolved in the best way possible. Obviously the terms are going to change. I said, let me call you back later tonight with you know, a proposal. We agreed to, uh, he agreed to sell the business for a dollar. I changed it to one Bitcoin, even though it was obviously worth far less than that. Typically in these types of deals, you'd have to pay someone 10 plus million dollars to take over a disaster like this. But um, I felt it was at the time very important that this was handled in a way that would, you know, mitigate some of the damage that it was going to cause on the industry. It was very clear to me that this was gonna set us back a year or two and be a a horrible, horrible event for Bitcoin as an ecosystem, not just the exchange. Um, This was was something that was gonna impact all of us negatively, which it clearly has.
0: I remember distinctly, uh, actually you telling me, uh, a few years ago, uh, you were buying Mt. Gox and you laid it out, you laid out the plan. Uh, so I was a witness for the, in terms of uh, being there when you were going through this. Uh, and I understand that there is, uh, would be a great effort to uh, rehabilitate this company uh, for the industry. Speaking of rehabilitation uh, and the plan for what's called civil rehabilitation of Mt. Gox, a forensic expert from WizSec, who is involved with the Mt. Gox case in terms of tracing the Bitcoin Says that most of your plan is already part of the civil rehabilitation plan in Japan. So regarding regarding the plan for equity in a relaunched exchange, uh, you should just wait for the process to finish. Your response.
2: That's Kim. Kim is Mark Carpellice's boss. Uh, Mark Carpellice is Kim's CTO. They're partners. So th- that's basically just Mark uh, speaking through uh, his CEO. But. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, Mark has his opinion. Mark and his partner, Kim, would like to control uh, Mount Gox, and um, they believe that they're in charge. Uh, They believe they're the ones that are directing the bankruptcy trustee. I'm highly skeptical that the bankruptcy trustee is relying on Mark Karpeles and Kim to decide what should happen here. But um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the most important thing that I think is worth noting is it doesn't actually matter who owns Mount Gox as so long as the creditors receive all of the cash and all of the Bitcoin. So the bankruptcy trustee said that the shareholder um, was going to be entitled to all of the surplus of funds. That was billions of dollars at one point. Today, it's about $700 million. I just wanna make sure that creditors receive all of that and Mark Carpelles gets zero. The only reason Mark Carpelles should care about who owns it is because he cares who potentially is the beneficiary of that potential surplus. In a civil rehabilitation, assuming the plan as everybody for the most part is wanting today, at least me and all of the creditors I've spoken to, creditors get everything. In that scenario, equity gets nothing, which is what I'm fighting for. I want equity to receive nothing. The only reason I care at all is because I wanna make sure Mark Carpellus gets zero. I don't believe that he should get any of that $700 million. I think he's caused enough harm here. He's the villain that caused victims to be in the situation they're in today. I mean, you have to take a look at this. For two years, the Bitcoins out of Mt. Gox were being stolen. And Mark Carpellis didn't bother once to check the, the cold storage or to check on the wallets to ensure things weren't being stolen. It's not like he just woke up one day and someone looted the vaults overnight. They were literally stealing out of the Mt. Gox vaults for over two years, and Mark Karpeles didn't even once bother to check. I mean, it's, it's, it's criminal negligence, criminal mismanagement, which is why he's been to jail and probably going back again.
0: So this is the Game of Thrones aspect to it. You, you have a visceral hatred, I think, is not too strong a word here, of Mark Karpeles. As, uh, as most of the industry, if not the entire industry, has, uh, this guy is a true villain. Uh, so, so to break it down, um, to make sure that Mark gets nothing, you want to make sure that the creditors are uh, made uh, whole to some degree and not, not the equity. Get the equity would be completely out of the picture. I want
2: zero, which is why I don't care who owns the equity. The only reason we're having this conversation is because Mark wants to make it very clear that he does own it. Even though we signed a binding agreement, which he's confirmed as a binding agreement, you should look closely at it, it was very much a binding agreement, designed to to be a binding agreement, meaning no matter what happened after the signing of that agreement, it was binding, because we immediately had to take over, we immediately had to start spending exorbitant amounts of money on Japanese lawyers, U.S. lawyers, we settled both class action lawsuits on behalf of the 103,000 account holders, we filed the original civil rehabilitation plan in early 2014, And we were spending lots of money, and we could not start spending that money immediately as we had to do without having a thoroughly binding agreement, which was supposed to have a follow-up agreement. But then Mark sent us a rescission letter begging me to sign it saying, please, I'm confirming that I signed a binding agreement, but please rescind the deal. I said, are you kidding? We're already spending a fortune. You've already agreed that we're taking over and cleaning up this mess for you because you're not competent enough to do so. But his lawyers that were getting paid two to $3 million a year wanted to make sure that gravy train kept on paying them. And I had no intention of retaining his existing attorneys. And so they pushed Mark into trying to rescind the agreement. He then had no intention whatsoever to sign the subsequent more detailed document as was agreed. But the reason why that first agreement was so binding was so that we had no risks of mark not following through on the deal that he cut i don't care it's in dispute mark owns it i own it i don't care i don't want any of it i want creditors to receive anything the only reason i can imagine mark cares is because he wants something and he's got the benefit of saying oh i want what's best for everyone even though he's not in control to Bain, which would be the entity he owns it through is in bankruptcy Mark has no say in what happens at Tobain. The bankruptcy trustee of Tobain is in full control. What is a bankruptcy trustee's job? To get everything they possibly can for the entity they represent. Meaning the bankruptcy trustee of Tobain's job is to try and make sure the equity gets paid. I don't want Mark getting one cent, nor should any other creditor.
0: This is gonna be a hot season of crypto in 2019. You know, This is gonna be an awesome showdown. Looking forward to it. Uh, let me change gears for a second. We've got about 50 seconds left. I know you're thinking about, or you mentioned you're going to raise $5 million for a new Puerto Rico-focused venture capital fund. Uh, you know, obviously, you're in Puerto Rico, big in Puerto Rico, about the whole turnaround there. we have got 40 seconds. Can you tell us more about that fund? Because that's obviously a big growth opportunity there, Brock. We've
2: been down in Puerto Rico for about a year and a half, and some great things have happened. Two Puerto Rican companies, end of last year, raised over a million dollars each. That is the first time you've had Puerto Rican startups raising real money. Uh, I hope we have many more in the first half of this year and even more in the second half of this year. But for the first time ever, Puerto Ricans that wanna build an entrepreneurial startup now have the tools to do so. And the idea of setting up this fund is just to make more early stage capital available to the, you know, call it the emergence of this early startup culture. You've got uh, startup accelerators, co-working facilities, incubators. You now have angel investors showing up, lots of mentors, lots of crypto people. This is not a crypto movement. This is a startup movement. And we think that a startup society can happen in Puerto Rico. And this is one of the many things we're doing to support that initiative.
0: Perfect. Brock Pierce, thanks for being on the Kaiser Report. Thank you, Max. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Brock Pierce. If you want to catch us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time. Bye, y'all.